Welcome to Bible Study. This is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's our pleasure to welcome you to the program and invite you to stay with us for this hour as we are opening the Bible, studying God's Word. We are in the book of Ephesians. We are going to conclude uh, today on this wonderful book and we are going to talk about Ephesians in the heart. I would like to welcome our panel today. It's good to have with us uh, Will. Thank you for joining us. Good to be with the panel again, Nick. Hello, Denise. Thank you for joining. Hi, Nick. A pleasure to be here. Ken, it's good to have you with us too. Thank you, Nick. Always a privilege to be here. Lija, it's good to have you part of the discussion today. Thank you for joining. Yes, thank you. I'm very glad. And Jerry, it's good to have you with us today, and uh, thank you so much. Uh, from the beginning, I would like to acknowledge that you are the one who to facilitate today, and you put a bit of work into this study. Would you like to take us through, please? Yes, thank you, Nick. The title of this week's study is Ephesians in the Heart. Or we could perhaps say Ephesians Taken to Heart. Over the past 13 weeks, we have gone chapter by chapter through Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. And it soon became clear that what he wrote applied not only to the new Christian believers living in Ephesus in his own time, but to all the faithful who have joined the body of Christ right down to this very day. The sublime truths contained in this epistle or letter from Paul are so transformative and life-changing that to absorb them to meditate on them and to apply them in our daily lives will fill our hearts with joy and praise for the God who gave everything to redeem us and secure our eternal salvation. We will use this week as a revision of the last, uh, sorry, of the six chapters of Ephesians to remind ourselves of God's grand purpose for humanity and the high calling that is ours who are called Christians. But first, I would like to ask Denise to lead us in prayer. Yes, okay, Jerry, let's bow our heads. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to open your word and to look at the book of Ephesians. We thank you for the gospel message that it contains. We thank you for the um, principles that it outlines. We thank you, too, for the um essence of the message that that Paul is trying to say that everybody is entitled to salvation and Jesus wants everybody to be part of his kingdom. He doesn't want to exclude anyone based on race or or their gender or whatever. He accepts all and we pray that we might be able to uh, share this message with the listeners today and that the panel will um, be able to clearly enunciate the things that come out of Ephesians and I pray that the Holy Spirit will bless not only the panel but also the listeners that this message might be able to fill their hearts and to fill their lives and that they might see who Jesus really is in his name amen amen well Paul immediately sets out in his introduction to encourage the saints as he calls them in Ephesians, with the almost unimaginable privilege of being the recipients of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, and the plan that God had for each one of us 
even before he created the world. He then goes on to explain the unfolding of the mystery of God's will and his desire for all believers to comprehend or to know what is the hope of God's calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And then finally, he describes the headship of Christ over all things, both in the church, which is defined as his body, and even beyond. Ken, there's quite a spiritual smorgasbord to choose from here. What especially inspires you when you read this chapter? Gary, there are many things I could answer here, but I'm going to mention two. The first, as you have said, is the lengths God goes to do behind the scenes to save people. He tries and tries for years to get people to wake up and see the big picture. As we read in John 3, verses 16 to 17, For God so loved the world that he gives only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For around 2,000 years, God has been busy chasing people from every nation to come to him to be saved for, from eternal death. And in these last days, he is still chasing the remaining few who will listen to him just before probation closes. And the second thing, Derry, is that why would God want a sinner like me to be part of his kingdom? Derry, it's just too much for me to take in. Again, as we read in Isaiah 44 and verse 22, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like this. And return to me, for I have redeemed you. And again, as Paul says in Ephesians 2, in verses uh, 5 to 9, Even when you were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in its kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. So it's an incredible thing what Jesus has done for us all, and it's incredibly difficult for me to get my head around it. Yeah, it is, Ken, isn't it? But uh, you've explained it well. You know, I... As you were speaking, I thought about uh, one of the verses in the very first chapter where it says here in uh, chapter 1, verse 4, it says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Uh, It reminds me that, um, you know, we, we were made in God's image. And just think about that for a second. Just think how much effort god puts into us as his his children i mean uh, uh, you see creation in all kinds of forms in this world but we the human family are made in his image with the ability to love and to worship and god wants us to be with him he always wanted that from the very beginning and of course we know what happened so he he is desperate to have us back with him throughout the ages of eternity. And uh, as we will see in in the letter to the Ephesians, it explains what God did to achieve that. But it just it brings out how precious we are in his sight, I think, how valuable each human being is, each human life. 
and God's intense desire to to win us back. Yeah, if I could add on that one, uh, Jerry, um, you said, you know, we need to be with God. But, you know, you said that we were created in his image. We need to be like God. Interesting enough, not, uh, I mean, to to look at God, how God is described in the Bible, and how Jesus came on this earth and live among us, and we need to be like him. I mean, like people to see in us what they saw in Jesus 2,000 years ago. I think this is very important. Yeah. Yeah, uh, hence the um, the words, be holy as I am holy. Mm. Yeah, it's a high calling for sure. Any further thoughts, panel members? Jerry, the fact that uh, God still wants to include us in his great plan that was actually formulated long before we were even born, as you said, mm. the fact that he wants to still have us as his children after we have uh, disappointed him so much, is really, really a wonder. And I think it's great to, to even think that we could be part of the family of God. And I think that this is why the uh, these programs are running on radio and television and just to invite people to become, to consider becoming part of the family of God. Indeed. You know, the word hope is always uh, mentioned uh, throughout this chapter as well, hope. And that's a wonderful thing to live in hope. But the hope that is portrayed in the letter to the Ephesians is something special as well, where Paul uh, writes about the hope of his calling in verse 18 of chapter one. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? We have so much to hope for and to look forward to. And, and it, I think it's a good thing to just stop and meditate on that. Just imagine uh, being with the king of all the universe, throughout the endless ages of eternity, in a place of perfect peace between all the people, all the saints that are there, everybody as your best friend, as it were, living in a perfect environment forever and ever. Well, how can, how can you get any better than that? That is the hope that is uh, reserved for the people who are able to, by faith, accept Jesus as their saviour. Paul continues in chapter 2 to describe the grim reality and hopelessness of our past condition and what got us into this mess. However, rather than leave us there, he explains how and by whom our situation can be fully reversed and even exalted above and beyond what we could dare to dream. He links us to Christ in a number of ways, which in turn connects us to others in a new way particularly those who are part of his church. He speaks of the tearing down of the walls that separate different people groups with the view of bringing all people together into one household of God. Nick, what stands out for you in this second chapter of Ephesians? Well, Jerry and panel, um, yeah, today we are looking into the book of Ephesians, recapping some of the things which we looked into them for a number of weeks. And, uh, if I, if I'll talk about, um, a little bit about chapter two, it's interesting how it even started. You know, remember we are talking today Ephesians in the heart or take it, 
taking to heart what the book of Ephesians had to say. And in the um, first verse of the chapter uh, 2, I'm uh, reading from New Living Translation, and it says here, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now, it's interesting that it says, Apostle Paul says that once, which the expectation is that hopefully not anymore. Um, I think that's uh, a very important thing when we talk about uh, the Bible and the Word of God, which should transform us, which should change us and be different. We should not just read the Word of God as like a novel or whatever, the word of God has power to change, but it cannot change us unless we allow the word of God to work in us, to cut, you know, like a sword with two ages, you know, and we talked about that and we may touch on that again, uh, which, which separates sin, you know, from, uh, from us. You know, summarizing this chapter, which, uh, graphically uh, depicts humanity's grim state of sin and death, a state that is without promise, without hope, without Christ, and without God in the world. But Paul and the Bible in general does not end with this grim depiction. Rather, he details the foundational elements of the gospel, the mystery of God, which brings hope to humanity. In and with Christ, God resurrects us and exalts us to his sanctuary in the heavenly places. Moreover, in and with Christ, we become God's new temple on earth. This transformation, it's made only by grace. And grace is the foundation of the Christian faith. And it's our mission to represent God and to live a life which will glorify his name. Absolutely. Yeah, I think... As you said, Nick, if you look at the very first verse of chapter 2, where, and I'm reading from the New King James Version, it says, And you he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins. I mean, he, he, he really um, hits the nail on the head, doesn't he? So I mentioned the word hope before. We were all once in a hopeless situation. We were dead in our sins. We were like the living dead, as it were, the walking dead, that you know, no hope. And I think the problem is that um, a lot of people don't actually understand that. And that's why we have to um, try to bring that out, that uh, unless you have Jesus in your heart as your saviour, unless you have accepted him as your saviour, really your situation is hopeless, hopeless. And by contrast, if you have Jesus in your heart and you're walking with him, what a glorious hope you can live with. What a beautiful 
blessed hope, as it says in Titus, the blessed hope you can live with. So that's what we are, are called to proclaim, the hope that is in Jesus and the, and the, um, the transformation that we will experience in our lives. Okay. Any further thoughts, panel? Yeah, Gary, I just wanted to add to that. Uh, we have mentioned this several times, but it is just so important for people to read their Bibles. Uh, mm-hmm. I think people are missing out not only on blessings from God now, but uh, I think there's a good possibility they're going to miss out on eternal life because they haven't got that connection with Jesus, even though they may be good people. We're not saying they're bad people, but you still have to have that connection with Jesus. The only way to get this is to read the Bible and see what God requires of people and to try and follow those things. Yeah, that's very true. Um, another Bible verse just occurred to me from uh, one of the shorter epistles of John where it says, He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. So really that's it's, it's as black and white as that, isn't it? In order to have life and life eternal, you must have the Son. You must have Jesus as your Savior. Okay. Now, in in, uh, chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul continues unpacking the theme of the mystery of God's will, uh, which at the time would have caused quite a stir in Jewish thinking. Who are the parties involved in the unfolding of God's plan and what ultimately happens to them? Denise, can you unpack this a bit for us and... Is there anything else in this chapter that caught your attention? There's a lot in this chapter, but I'll try and summarise it. So we're talking about the mystery of God's will. Now, this mystery, another word for it could be surprise, is that salvation was not just for the Jews, but was freely available to all men. So anyone who's not a Jew is called a Gentile. So both Jew and Gentile alike. Now, this caused an incredible stir amongst the Jewish people of Paul's day. And um, I've got a, a, a quote here I'd like to share with you. It said, the Jewish people had listened with close attention, but when Paul preached the point in his history where he was appointed Christ's ambassador to the Gentiles, their fury broke forth anew. Accustomed to looking upon themselves as the only people favoured by God, they were unwilling to permit the despised Gentiles to share the privileges which had been hitherto regarded as exclusively their own. Lifting their voices above the voice of the speaker, who was Paul, they cried, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for it is not fit that he should live. So it caused a huge ruckus um, in the, the community in Jerusalem, and because of it, Paul was put under house arrest, um, And he, but he wasn't deterred. And he says in uh, the beginning of Ephesians chapter 3, and I'm reading from the clear word, which is a paraphrase, for this reason I, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, have been imprisoned because I took the gospel to the Gentiles. And he, so he writes um, specifically to the Gentile believers who are meeting in house churches with Jews, with um, slaves and and masters and all sorts of people, and he wants to encourage them. 
Uh, secondly, Paul describes the commission given to him by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. Um, and he claims that this mystery has been revealed to him called the mystery of Christ. Uh, Paul is not above having received advanced revel, is not alone in having received advanced revelation about this mystery as the spirit revealed it to Christ's apostles and prophets. Um, and the mystery which was once hidden was now an open secret. And he declares in Ephesians 3 verse 6, the mystery of God's love includes the Gentiles. It is his plan to make them members together with us of one spiritual body, sharing the promises of God in Jesus Christ. So Paul was passionate about the gospel being preached to the Gentiles in a church which was composed of both Jews and Gentiles. Uh, these two groups were to become the building blocks of God's new community after Jesus' ascension to heaven. And they've been transformed from enemies to co-heirs and co-partakers of the gospel. So this understanding of the church comprising of both Jews and Gentiles then motivates Paul to pray for the believers. And we can see that prayer later in Ephesians 3 verses 15 to 18. And I'd just like to read that. It says, the whole universe is his family, and all who believe in heaven and earth have been given his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, our heavenly Father will strengthen you with power through the Holy Spirit so that Jesus Christ will continue to live in your hearts by faith and you will be rooted and grounded in his love. So the only way that people who are different can be united together in worship is through their belief and their trust in Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit working through their lives. Mm, yeah. Yeah, that's well explained. It, it never ceases to amaze me really how fragmented this world is and how we see discrimination in, in all kinds of ways in this world, don't we? And yet, um, God has no favorites. And where does all this discrimination and, and, um, you know, being a separated, where does it come from? If you have toddlers of different races uh, together in a room, they'll play happily together. They don't, they don't see any difference. It's only as they grow older and are influenced by whatever that uh, it becomes part of their makeup. Yep. Go on, Denise. They're influenced by prejudiced adults. Yeah. I think that's probably true i mean it's got to come from somewhere but god loves all people regardless of where they come from what culture they're in whether they're male or female whether they're indian or, or african or whatever it makes absolutely no difference we are all god's children valued equally and um and it's, it's interesting that that should be described as a mystery or part of the mystery at least that god loves all people equally um but it was it was quite revolutionary in Paul's day to express it in those terms that, um, you know, both the Jews and the Gentiles can be fellow heirs. What a thought. And as you rightly said, Denise, that didn't go down really well at all. <laughs> you know, Jerry, you asked uh, where this come from, all the, you know, uh, pain and all the, you know, dysfunctional uh, even in churches and uh, all those things. 
I mean, mm. one thing is very clear in the book of Ephesians, and Paul is pointing out that, yeah. that we belonged to another master after we sinned, you know, and we uh, gave allegiance to the enemy of God. And that's the devil. And, you know, he is into this business since the beginning, you know, when we fall into sin. And he will create all sorts of um, strategies to disturb us, to take us away from the plan of God. It's interesting that through the history, we always saw those struggles. Is this for the Jews? Oh, no, is that for the Gentiles? Oh, is this for the black or for the white or this and that? You know, in Jesus' time and in Paul's time, when they were very intentional to take the gospel to the Gentiles because the Jews were so exclusivists, they thought it's only them for the kingdom of God. And, you know, amazes me to look now after... 2,000 years, a shift, a movement, which lifts up so much about towards Israel as a physical Israel, as a nation, that our salvation is through Israel, because the Bible says things like that, but we need to put in the context. Uh, lots of people now are moving towards Israel, and they say that they will be saved, and then we, because we are Gentiles, will, you know, because of them, will be saved too. I think the Bible says much more than that. The Bible explains that every single person on this earth is qualified in the eyes of God for salvation because of the blood of Jesus Christ and because of the uh, the things which God put in place even in the Old Testament with all those uh, principles and uh, which which God put in place. I want to really mention this. Don't get sidetracked, you know, on one movement or the other. Because the enemy, it's in the middle of this. And he will know how to press buttons. I believe what we need to do is to focus on the word of God and to allow God to change our life in the way he wants us to live in these special times just before the coming of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was, I was thinking also, Nick, as you were speaking of uh, a verse from Galatians chapter three, verse twenty-nine, where where Paul says, "And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise." So again, that that division that gets done away with, if you are Christ's, you can come from anywhere. Then you are Abraham's seed. In other words, then then Abraham was the father of the faithful. So that brings us into the family or the household of God, as Paul describes it in Ephesians. That's that's the bottom line, to have Christ as your saviour. So in chapter 4, Paul discusses, among other things, what is required to maintain unity of faith within the church, which is the body of Christ, and certain behaviour patterns that can be expected from professing Christians. Now that the... That's quite a challenge, Will. Would you like to elaborate, please? Yes, as I thought about this, Jerry, you know, all of us might know someone who is a part of their physical body that is considered inactive, stemming either from birth 
or injury. They're limited by their inability to fully use an arm or a leg, or perhaps face the challenge of no longer having a sight or hearing. And this disabling characteristic presents additional challenges for uh, for them from living a regular active lifestyle. In a spiritual sense, in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul says that we are all parts of the body of Christ and that we should function to the fullest measure possible to keep the body in full activity and contribute to its overall function. A practical example of this would be that hands, even down to the fingers, are inextricably connected to the arm, and the movement of all the parts between the shoulder and the tips of the fingers is necessary for uh, what we might say is a perfect symbiosis. In short, Paul elaborates in um, 1 Corinthians 12.21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the the head to the feet, uh, I have no need of you. Members of the body of Christ, his church, all of us, complement one another to present a unified machine to proclaim his glory and grace. And Ephesians chapter 4 says that by working closely together, we can avoid the problems that we so easily see. Now, in family as well as the church or corporate life, we've seen enough discord and contention, haven't we, Mm. that bring disunity, and once that harmony is disrupted, the message of the gospel is severely hampered hampered. I've seen fights last for years, and oh, how much the message of peace has suffered as a result of hard-hearted persistence in disruption. We are charged by the Lord to take care of one another, and this is emphasized in, in Ephesians 4, encourage one another, strong and weak, to honor our Creator. As Paul puts it in Ephesians 4 verse 3, we should endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. Unity encompasses doctrinal harmony, close cooperation and support of each other, both in the church, the family, and in the world. We should learn to work together. But as Ephesians 4 says, unless we work together, God's message is brought to dishonor. Yes, indeed, that's so true. And how easily you can upset the apple cart, isn't it? Uh, people, and we are all guilty to some degree um, because we are imperfect beings. And I think maybe that's why Paul also says, I die daily, because he recognized too that um, we can't rely on the grace that God gives us today to get us through t- tomorrow. God offers us grace sufficient for the day and um, we need to start every day really asking God to to go before us and to and to bless us with his with the gifts of the Holy Spirit and if we're very mindful of that if we deliberately ask God to help us 
I think that will make all the difference because if we don't, we will naturally gravitate back towards our own behavior patterns. And so it's a discipline to live the Christian life is quite a discipline. It is not, I often say this is, is not for the faint hearted because, um, we have to keep our eyes on Jesus. And I think if we all did that, then we would, um, get along far better together for sure. We will now move to chapter five where Paul admonishes the faithful to imitate God that says there by extending to others the grace that we ourselves received from God. What does this mean in practical terms and how is this seen in interpersonal relationships and the way we live our lives? Paul typically doesn't mince his words and leaves us in no doubt as to the ultimate and inevitable result of certain immoral practices. Lydia, could you uh, please comment on what Paul is saying in this chapter? Well, Jerry, there is so much detailed advice in this chapter. So, first of all, Paul advised Christians to be imitators of God and live a life of love just as Christ did, not as immoral, but practicing morality, because immorality has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. So Christian should not be partners with disobedient, but live as children of light. Live as wise people, making the most of every opportunity and understand the Lord's will. Also, he's advising on not to get drunk and with wine, but leave uh, because it leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Also, he's pointing, pointing to submission, submission to one another out of reverence for Christ, submission in the household. So there are some rules over there for Christian household uh, to live in love and submission to one another. And also he's focusing on unity. So unity, unity cannot be achieved without abandoning our past exaltation of I. Unity is realized only when we embrace our identity and walk in Christ. This profound transformation in Christ will also affect all our aspects of our lives, including our families as husbands and wives and children. And then is in the society, people groups and social classes. And, um, of course, uh, your personal individual lives. So in this chapter five, Paul advises that we can be and recipients and givers of God's grace to others. Yes, Nick, you wanted to add something? It just uh, as Lija was uh, reflecting on uh, this uh, chapter, um, there she said that it's so much in this chapter that uh, we can take only a separate program only on this. Mm-hmm. And but a couple of things just. Um, stood up uh, for me, for example, uh, from verse 15. 
uh, where it says, I'm leaving, I'm reading again from New Living Translation. It says, uh, so uh, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Now, people may say, I want to work hard to do all the things, make the most of every opportunity. But he is talking about transformation. He's talking about our character. He's talking about how we live in these days. Mm-hmm. And it says here further, don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. You know, we have to have that connection with God. And in verse 18 says, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. I'd like to make a reference here that is not necessarily that speaks only about that liquid thing, you know, which many people got drunk with. Here speaks about also a lot of teachings because the Bible speaks about the wine, the, the wrath of God, you know, towards the those people who teaches wrong things, wrong teachings. That could be the wine of the teachings of these days. We need to be careful not to be drunk with popularity, not to be drunk with the things which we really want to hear because it sounds so nice, so good. The internet is full of these teachings. We need to depict this and live indeed as we know the days we are in. I believe it's so much in this uh, this uh, book, but in particular in this chapter, may God help us to really apply what we read in here. Amen. Now, I'm impressed by verse 25 as well, Nick, uh, where it says, Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, now, you wouldn't think that would be too hard to love your wife, but but the the fact is that uh, both you and her, if you're married, you're imperfect people. So almost inevitably, you're going to have differences of opinion and, and clashes somewhere along the way. But um, what does the Bible say? All things are possible for those who believe. And... Um, I think if again if you take if you take it one step at a time, one day at a time, and reflect on these words. Love your wives just as Christ also loves the church. Christ gave himself fully and completely, sacrificed himself for the church. If that is something that is reciprocal between husband and wife, you know, you don't have to always completely agree with each other, but you can respectfully disagree with each other. They still love each other. So that is the ideal model, isn't it? Just to be kind-hearted, as he said before, uh, forgiving, patient, long-suffering. Uh, and that's that's the, the reality of life when you're together with somebody all the time. But it can be beautiful if you have Jesus as your model and follow him and uh, and and just put his love into practice. No reason why it shouldn't work. Yeah. Yes, Ken. 
I just wanted to bring in again something I think is very important that many people either don't believe or don't think about, but especially as Christians, we are in a war. and It's an unseen war, but Satan is doing his very best to distract us in so many ways. And this is a real daily battle that many of us face, if not all of us. And sometimes it's easy to uh, forget this. And we are obviously to live in peace as best we can with everyone and do the best we can. But uh, things do come along that really can, can bowl us over. And I think it, it pays to remember that we're not just fighting sometimes people, but there's an evil force that especially as attacking Christians. And we really do, do need to get close to Jesus. And when these things happen, get down on our knees and pray for help to overcome these fiery darts of the devil that are attacking us daily. Yeah, yeah, yeah very true. Very true. Well, finally, we conclude our, our uh, study by reflecting on Ephesians 6. We looked at that last week where we uh, discover the concept of mutual obligation, children to parents, parents to children, masters to slaves, and vice versa, as to the Lord, it says there, and that we, the church, are not the war-waging, but rather the peace-waging army of God. Now, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? Army of God. Armies typically engage in battle. So why does Paul use military language? Who are the main parties involved in this conflict? And how can Paul's call to arms and being clad in the full armour of God be reconciled with a peacekeeping mission? Anybody like to reflect on that? I mean, first of all, uh, Jerry, yeah, as you said, we just discussed about that uh, in the previous program, uh, quite in detail about the armour of God, about the uh, waging peace and uh, all those things yeah you have in your mind when you talk about armor you you have in your mind just um that sort of fight now i think we said it quite well last week that um we are fighting not against blood and flesh but against the spirits you know the uh, demonic activity we are still in a war zone. Now, how can you be in a war zone waging peace? Mm. I think we can actually, because we need to um, be peacemakers in which regard that we'll live in accordance with the teachings of the gospel, that we will um, look into all these differences we talked about and we'll find the bridges to make bridges not to go along with our own ideology with our own indoctrination with our own uh, whatever but to allow God to transform us through the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and to help us to still be equipped to fight to fight this war to mm-hmm. be on the right side because Jesus is victorious. This war, Jesus won it, but we are still in it. We're still and in we, it. Yes. Yeah. And I think, too, um, I use the word mission. I think a Christian does have a mission to wage peace, to go out 
with the gospel proclamation to, you know, to tell it far and wide, as it were, uh, the good news of the gospel. And, and that is our calling. That is our purpose as Christians. Um, so in that sense, it makes sense, doesn't it? That uh, illustration to go out and wage peace, tell the world that Jesus loves them and that Jesus is coming back. During in Greek mythology, Thetis, the mother of Achilles, dipped him in the river Styx as an infant to make him invulnerable to weapons of during a military attack. That is, except for his heel, because his mother held him um, by the heel when dipping him into the water. During the Trojan War, war an archer named Paris shot an arrow which penetrated his heel and cost his life. Now, this is all mythology, of course, and hence the term Achilles' heel for a point of weakness. In the case of the champion of the Philistines, Goliath, we know when he was angered by the audacity of a young boy coming out to fight him, pushed back the armour covering his forehead, exposing an unprotected part of his body, and it cost his life. We are admonished in, in Ephesians to put on the whole armour of God. Our fight is a is a formidable fight against a formidable enemy. And um, we can't even see see the enemy. He's invisible and his forces are invisible. Uh, it's a treacherous thing to think that we could go out in our own strength and fight against such a foe. And that is why I believe... Uh, uh, Ephesians tells us to stay close to God and be um, protected by his uh, His armour. Yeah, that's good advice. Yes, thank you. Denise? Um, I think the um, one of the messages from Ephesians 6 is because this battle is a spiritual battle and we are flesh and blood, that our battle is to stay in relationship with Jesus who provides us with all the spiritual protection that we need um, to resist temptation and to resist the devil and the, the things that he throws at us. So our battle is not against the enemy. Our battle is to stay connected to Jesus and to stay in relationship with him and to know what his word says and to make, um, to take on all the spiritual aid that he offers us. Mm-hmm. So, so you put it in a, in a context of the discipline, the Christian discipline, to uh, stay connected daily. Because yeah, as soon as you lose your grip, you're on slippery ground, aren't you? For sure. All right. Well, listeners, as we reach the end of our study of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, I'd like to leave you with the following thought. At the heart of his epistle to the Ephesians, Paul unfolds the mystery of God's will for all humanity, and the magnificence of his power and love at work in Christ and in us. This mystery is also referred to as the mystery of Christ, since it is through faith in Christ alone that we are saved by grace, experience forgiveness of sins, and are raised up or resurrected from spiritual and ultimately physical death to experience true life in the spirit and access through Christ to the Father. The inclusion of non-Jews to be partakers of God's grace 
and become members of the family of God by breaking down the barriers that had separated them was a truth that for centuries had been denied or misunderstood. This new family of God, with Christ dwelling in the heart through faith, would result in a unified body of believers who exhibit all the fruits of the Holy Spirit as they model their lives on Christ and who reach out to as many as they can with the glorious gospel message. This mystery is about the fact that God is love. He created us out of love, and he died in our place because he is love. He resurrected us to dwell with him in the spirit in his holy temple because he is love. He fought for us because he is love, and he will return for us because he is love. The mystery as Paul describes it, Christ in you, the hope of glory. May that be our experience as we carry this blessed hope in our hearts and as we come to Jesus and walk with him today and every day. Lydia, would you like to close with a prayer for us? Sure. Almighty God, Father in heaven, thank you so much for the richness of your holy word imparted to us through Paul, the apostle and the evangelist, the one you chose to let himself be transformed to become your humbled instrument, to whom you reached Ephesians and many more other generations to come, including us. Father, thank you for your divine love towards Ephesians, who lived in a time of growth, prosperity, but idolatry. And you brought light into their society and into their hearts, the light of true God, the salvation through your Son, Jesus. Father, thank you so much for unveiling through your chosen people the mysteries of your holy word the miracles of God's love and plan of salvation for everyone who will believe and accept and love you. Paul's entire life was affected and transformed by the gospel truth. He sacrificed everything he had to understand and share with others the mystery of God's love towards humanity. Father, please bless us and all those who hear your word with your Holy Spirit to understand your call, your call of love and salvation. Give us receptive ears and minds to accept your invitation. Please create in us a clean heart, a willingness of being transformed, molded by you in order to be your soldiers, the peace-waging army of God, your ambassadors on, here on this earth. Father, please help us to be doers in actions, in every step of the way, spreading around us the fruits of the Spirit. 
and one day the history of all sin, the great controversy will end and all the treasures of the universe will be opened to the study of your redeemed. And every creature which is in heaven and on, uh, on earth and under the earth and in the sea and everything that is in them will say and will bring you blessings and honor and glory and power and they will declare that God is love. Father, thank you so much for being our God the Father, God that is love. Help us, Father, to imitate you and to be children of love towards all around us. We thank you so much for Jesus that built the bridge between you and us to be reunited with you in the end. Thank you, Father, for everything in Jesus' precious name. Amen. 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 Well, Elijah, thank you so much for uh, that uh, prayer and the invitation for each one of us to consider uh, what we studied to apply in our life. My dear friend listening today, if you had... um, that you have the patience to stay with us through the end of these studies. I would like you to have this book. For the last time, we will provide. It's a wonderful devotional called God's Amazing Grace. Please send us a text message with the code SABS1. SA stands for South Australia, BS for Bible study. Just put number one there. And uh, you'll be blessed to have this book. The phone number is 0482098383. May God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk in the footsteps of Jesus. Keep looking up, don't give up, don't give up When there's pain deep in your heart Looking up, don't give up, don't give up Should the tears begin to start With a prayer all your cares He will cast Into the depths of the sea I know His love is there for me
I'm 